Hey there, and welcome back. This week is to all the lawsuits we've loved before. (laughs) I realize that a number of things that we talk about have resolved, have moved on, shit has happened, and we haven't gotten back to it, but they're not that deep. So we're just going to quickly go through a couple of the lawsuits that we have been covering together and break down what happened that they ended up coming to resolution and talking about it. So today we have Nike Satan shoes, because that that's already over, <laughs> right? Already over. Taylor Swift versus Evermore, the Washington State LuLaRoe pyramid scheme case, and the Johnny Depp defamation case in the UK. So that's what we're talking about. We should just go ahead and get into it. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years, I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Okay, before we get all the way into it, Today's quote is from DMX. If you know me, you know that I love both DMX and DMB. These these are musicians whose music has shaped my life. And the passing of DMX made me deeply, deeply sad. So today is a quote from DMX that is just, you know, prophetic for me. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you read and only believe half of what you see. The reason I love this particular quote so much is because it has to do with acknowledging your own perception as much as it has to do with being your own critical thinker, taking the things that you see and hear and perceive and then running it through your own thought process and making sure that you are not just jumping at and believing, again, everything you read, everything you hear, and everything that you see, because there might be more information. And and isn't that the time we live in now where we're like, where is the rest of the information? I need to know more. And it feels like there's so much that we could know and not enough time. And the more I research news and pop culture stories, the more I'm finding like this circularness in reporting. And I'm like, wait, where is that coming from though? And a report links to another report that links to another report that links to another report, but none of it links to the source information. I'm like, where is the source? And you have all different websites just quoting back to like Rolling Stone. And I'm like, right, but where's the source information at Rolling Stone? But I digress. I also wanted to give a couple of shout outs to some of the amazing new reviews we have on The Emily Show. The Emily Show just hit 200 thousand podcast downloads, which blows me away for sure. And there are a few wonderful reviews that I just wanted to say thank you for. So from Freebird2002 in US Apple Podcasts, thank you for your review. But I have questions because <laughs> I, I get the feeling this is for the podcast specifically. This has nothing to do with the YouTubes because it starts with 
concise legal breakdown. Yes, the the podcast is the only place (laughs) we're getting anything that is remotely concise. And then goes on to say, Emily is smart, funny, and well-informed. When someone is passionate about subjects, it really makes for an entertaining narrative. Awesome. Would recommend to anyone with a brain. That is a fantastic review. Thank you. And from JTB330, who said, legal cases explained brilliantly. Love. After listening to you on another podcast, I had to find yours. I did, and you did not disappoint. Your podcasts are detailed, informative, and entertaining. You give the where, what, and when, and how in a logical and easy-to-understand format. Thank you for that review. That is exactly what I try to do on the podcast. And while there's definitely more of a conversational style on the longer coverage on YouTube, I really try to make this digestible. And there are going to be a few of you going, how long have we been talking now? And we haven't gotten to the topic. I get it. I get it. But we are going to dive into it. We do have a bunch of topics, but I wanted to acknowledge those new reviews. And for all of you that are new to the podcast and have found me from my coverage on other podcasts, because I have been OPP everywhere lately. And when I say OPP, I mean, yeah, you know me. I mean, other people's podcasts. What did you think I meant? Not that kind of OPP. Other people's podcasts. I have been OPP quite a lot. And I hope to bring you some of those here if you haven't heard me on others. And I do share those on social media. So if you don't follow me at the Emily Baker on Instagram and Twitter, go ahead and do that. That's where I share out all of all of the latest and greatest conversations that I've had with all different podcast hosts. And they have been absolutely fantastic. Let's talk about Nike and these Satan shoes. What? Yeah, that's over now. It's over. The case has been dismissed. The case has been dismissed with prejudice. On April 9th, attorneys for Nike filed a notice of dismissal with prejudice in the federal court saying that Nike by and through undersigned counsel hereby dismisses with prejudice its claims against defendant Mischief Product Studio, Inc. in the above captioned action with each party bearing its own cost and attorney's fees in connection with the claims asserted in the complaint. The temporary restraining order issued on April 1st is hereby dissolved. And that's all she wrote. I had to dig into more information about this and went to the news reporting and All of the reports I saw cited back to the exact same statement by Nike confirming that a settlement was made and, quote, mischief um, altered the shoes without Nike's authorization. But as part of a settlement, Nike asked mischief and mischief agreed to initiate a voluntary recall to buy back any Satan shoes or Jesus shoes for their original retail prices in order to remove them from circulation if any purchasers were confused or if they otherwise want to return their shoes, they may do so for a full refund. Purchasers who choose not to return their shoes and later encounter a product issue, defect, or health concern <laughs> should contact Mischief, not Nike. <laughs> so Nike has said, if you later are upset about the literal blood in the the air bladder of this shoe, 
take it up with mischief and not Nike. There is no way in hell, pun intended, that anyone is going to recall voluntarily these shoes. That means that somebody would have to choose to send the shoes back to mischief. These things are selling on eBay for quite a lot of money. One pair did not get sold. It's the pair that was supposed to have a giveaway. I'm sure someone at Mischief has kept them or the company is going to put them in like a Lucite case for prosperity as a trophy of the lawsuit that put them on the map in some kind of a way. But I think Nike realized that, hey, um, those 665 pairs of shoes really did ship. All over social media, you could find people indicating that they had gotten shipping notifications, that their shoes had arrived. So really, if you ever were to look at a case of you can't put the shit back in the horse, this case is it. The shoes were already out in the stream of commerce. Nike got its statement out that it was suing over the shoes and was not connected to them. There wasn't much more to happen. And both Mischief and Nike, I think, came to the realization that the biggest concerns for both parties were being addressed by this. If a buyer really thought that these were an authorized collaboration with Nike and then became angered that they found out that they were lied to or they were misled, then they can go ahead and get their money back from Mischief. And Mischief's like, okay, boomer. We'll go ahead and let them refund the shoes. Okay. Okay. We'll see if that happens. I guarantee you that. No, I can't guarantee. Things happen. I cannot imagine that anyone is going to return these shoes because again, if you're buying these shoes from mischief, you had to download an app and buy it through the app and pay over a thousand dollars for sneakers. There's no way you thought you were buying them from Nike.com. Like, which I talked about when I broke down this suit, both on YouTube and here a bit on the podcast. I have a couple videos about it, but now it's done. It's done and we're moving on. It's like, okay, that was the fastest lawsuit I've ever seen. It, it came, it went, it made an impact. We're all a little bit altered and we've all had some interesting conversations about trademark and use of trademark, but we haven't really gotten any deep resolve on the issues other than a restraining order, a temporary restraining order was issued because the court said this is enough for a restraining order and nobody wanted to go to future hearings. So yeah, good night, Nike and farewell. Let's move on to Taylor Swift and Evermore. If you remember, this is the case where the Evermore theme park, it is a LARPing theme park. I love this so much because it is literally a role-playing theme park and I had never heard of it and digging into these lawsuits, I was actually kind of fascinated with the concept of Evermore. I didn't love the concept of their lawsuit, I'll be honest, but I loved the concept of their park where most of the entertainment at the park comes in the form of individuals interacting with the actors at the park, the employees at the park who are playing through every day a different kind of storyline and the visitors to the park become part of that storyline. It's a fascinating idea to let you really immerse yourself in another world, which is live LARPing is live action role playing. I'm too deep of a nerd, but like Renfair, but like up notches is how I interpreted everything I've read about the Evermore Park. But Evermore sued Taylor Swift over the album Evermore. 
And then Taylor Swift, well, her rights management company, sued Evermore Park. Because here's the thing, when Evermore sued Taylor Swift over the trademarks, what also was going on behind the scenes from what was filed in the Tennessee case, which is the music rights case, is that Taylor Swift's rights management company came back at Evermore Park and was like, yeah, yeah, but you're actually using Taylor Swift's music in your park without licensing. And the licensing company has been trying to get you to pay for the limited use license to use this music in live performances at the theme park, which you're not doing. And they had a number of um, statements in the complaint saying that after um, this happened, that people were requesting Taylor Swift songs at the park and this park was performing Taylor Swift songs without licensing and they had to pay for a limited you know, license for the music. So Evermore Park knew that the licensing company had been asking them to pay since before they filed the trademark suit. And then what, didn't think it was going to come up? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So you just think it's all, everybody's going to ignore it? Cool. So that's how we got into these two different lawsuits. And I don't want to call them cross complaints. Normally you see cross complaints in the same lawsuit. So in the Utah suit, you would see Evermore Park sue Taylor Swift. And then in the same suit, Taylor Swift would sue Evermore for something else going on in relation to the same uh, event. So that's kind of where you get those cross suits or counterclaims, but it's the same lawsuit. These were actually two separate lawsuits, but they were, you know, pointing across at one another, but it's over now. It's over now. It must have been love, but it's over now. I'm so sorry that I'm singing to you. Look, I'm recording this one late at night and the sass is like full. Anyway, it's over now. The respective lawsuits between Evermore Park and Taylor Swift have both been dropped. The Utah case was dismissed with prejudice on March 24th, 2021, and the Tennessee case where Taylor Swift's rights management company was suing the park over the the performing of the music was dropped on April 2nd, 2021 with prejudice again, with prejudice, meaning that they can't sue the other party again on these same issues. It is done and it is permanently done. A representative for Swift gave a statement to ABC four and other media outlets. I will link articles on this below in the show notes if you want to go read them, but it said, quote, As a resolution of both lawsuits, the parties will drop and dismiss their respective suits without monetary settlement. So it seems that we have reached a mutual walk away in this, which is the lawyers had conversation. And at some point, those conversations went something like this, I imagine. Um, Hey, Evermore, do you realize how much money you are going to spend pursuing this lawsuit And seriously, bro, nobody's confusing your trademark rights and Taylor Swift. She is not a theme park. The theme park is not her. No one is confused. Do you really want to be doing this? Because we can drop our suit. You can just pay the licensing fee that you owe to the company that does the licensing fee stuff. And you can stop pursuing us over the trademark stuff. 
and we're all just going to go our separate ways. So when they say no monetary settlement, I believe that there was just a mutual like disarmament where everyone's going to just put your guns down. We're all going to just put it down. We're all going to stop and walk away. And that's what it looks like happened based on the statements made to the media. Stop, drop, open up. Okay. It's, I've already warned you it's late. (laughs) I wanted to do this wrap up episode, but also um, Sass, let's talk about the Johnny Depp UK defamation case. And then we're going to move on to the Washington State versus LuLaRoe case. In the Johnny Depp UK case, and the reason I specify UK case is because there is also a case going on in Virginia. Quite a lot is happening in that case, and it will get its own its own time, its own separate episode. I have not caught up on everything going on in the Virginia case. Virginia passed a new anti-slap legislation. Johnny Depp tried to use it. The court said no. Lots happening in Virginia. That's not what we're talking about. In the UK case, this is the case where Johnny Depp sued the Sun over a headline that was up for like 24 hours calling him a wife beater. It went to trial there. Johnny Depp lost his lawsuit. The court found essentially that it was true enough that the statement wasn't defamatory. A difficult type of a case because Johnny Depp was suing the company, not Amber Heard, but the company got to bring her as a witness to kind of tell her side of the story because they're like, look, we talked to her. She told us this. It seemed true to us. So it's a fair, it's a fair statement. And the reason the case, um, caught so much attention is because both sides were fighting pretty hard over this. Johnny Depp saying, no, essentially this was self-defense. I'm not beating my wife. She and I were engaged in some kind of mutual combat and therefore the statement is false. That's what that was over. The judge in that case determined that um, it was true enough. Johnny Depp appealed to bring new information in that case. His attorneys wanted to present new evidence to the court but a UK appeal is different than the way that the system works in the United States because in this case, the judge was the finder of fact and the judge would have to hear the appeal saying, you're right, um, I was wrong in my determination of these facts and therefore I'm going to overrule myself. So this was always a difficult ask for Johnny Depp, but he did get permission to file for appeal. So first you have to get permission to ask for an appeal. And then once you get permission, you're allowed to ask for an appeal and then they will decide to grant it or not. And in this case, it was not. But let's talk about what happened. Um, I will link the BBC article down below that has been very helpful in putting this together because they heavily quoted what the court said. And the court's ruling was that, quote, We refuse Mr. Depp's application to admit further evidence in support of his proposed appeal, and we conclude that the appeal has no real prospect of success and that there is no other compelling reason for it to be heard. We accordingly refuse permission to appeal. Now, in that case, the judge really weighed heavily in the favor of Amber Heard believing her testimony, even when it was contradicted 
by other facts and other evidence. Depp's attorneys were seeking to admit evidence that when Amber Heard said that she had donated a award from the divorce to charity that she had not in fact done so. Um, Johnny Depp's attorney, his, his barrister, said that the claim was a, quote, calculated and manipulative lie and that she never, in fact, donated that money. She had indicated she was going to donate to Children's Hospital Los Angeles and the ACLU. A representative for the hospital said that she never made any payments, and her legal team stated that she had been responsible for seven figures in donations to charitable causes and intends to continue to contribute and eventually fulfill her pledge. Because, see, she pledged over $7 million to the two different charities, um, and it seems that she never paid it. Given how much weight the judge put on her credibility and how much he seemed to dismiss Johnny Depp's credibility, lying about something like this, um, I think could have mattered. The court found that this new evidence wasn't going to matter enough, but there is still the U.S. case in Virginia that is a defamation case. Johnny Depp is suing Amber Heard over statements that she made in a news article, and Amber Heard is countersuing over statements Depp's lawyer and others made. So that will be its own episode. But the UK case, Johnny Depp versus The Sun, is all the way done. There is nothing left to happen in that case, and the legal focus will shift to the case in Virginia. Before we move on to LuLaRoe, though, I do have to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. This episode is sponsored by the Lawnard Shop. That's right, lawnardshop.com, where you can get all of your Lawnard needs. And if you check my social medias, you will see some of the new things coming to the Lawnard Shop for the summer. I have very special things coming up for April and May. And if you are listening to this further in the future, check out all of the even more incredible things (laughs) that have been added to the shop. I am releasing one limited item in April and more to come. Lawnardshop.com for all of your fun Lawnard needs. And if you want to see what is in the shop, check me out on Instagram, which is where I share that most of the time at the Emily D. Baker. Let's get into the LuLaRoe Washington suit. And I saved this one for last because it's going to take the longest time to jump into. This is one of the first coupling of lawsuits that I covered when I started this podcast and had not gotten to check back in. This case was getting ready to go to trial in February of 2021 when it settled Oh, for over $4 million, LuLaRoe will be paying to the state of Washington. I found the press release on this very helpful. So we're going to go through the press release from the Washington State's Office of Attorney General and then through LuLaRoe's statement and then kind of my thoughts on it. But in sum, the state of Washington sued LuLaRoe over misleading income claims, over a 
pyramid business structure over an unfair refund policy. And those were the the heart of the claims. So let's talk about what the attorney general had to say. In January 2019, Attorney General Ferguson filed a lawsuit against LuLaRoe and several of its executives, asserting that the defendants made unfair and deceptive misrepresentations regarding the profitability of being an independent retailer for LuLaRoe. For example, one LuLaRoe executive claimed that, quote, so many of our retailers are making amazing money doing this part-time, end quote, and quote, a huge number of people, quote, sell 15,000 to 20,000 each month. Later in the same call, she claimed LuLaRoe has, quote, a bunch of people, quote, that can sell up to 150,000 per month. Instead of profiting, many of the company's independent retailers were left with debt and unsold merchandise they could not return without taking a loss. The lawsuit asserted that LuLaRoe violated the Washington Anti-Pyramid Promotional Scheme Act. Isn't that a name? Isn't that a full name? The Anti-Pyramid Promotional Scheme Act and the Consumer Protection Act, in addition to LuLaRoe's deceptive misrepresentations regarding profitability. The lawsuit also claims that there was an unlawful bonus structure and unfair refund policy. The resolution, which was filed in King County Superior Court, prohibits LuLaRoe from operating a pyramid scheme. Additionally, LuLaRoe must be more transparent with retailers to avoid future deception. For example, LuLaRoe must publish an income disclosure statement that accurately details retailer income potential. Now, this is a side note for me, but the Direct Selling Association and federal law generally also requires the same thing. And on most MLM type businesses, you will see income disclosure statements, but it's not just on MLMs that you see the need for income disclosure statements. There are other types of internet marketing companies where income disclosure statements are appropriate and necessary to protect both the business owner and to protect the individuals who are um, joining into a business opportunity. The press release goes on to say that the attorney general will provide $4 million to Washingtonians who were deceived by LuLaRoe's business practices. The attorney general's office estimates that approximately 3,000 Washingtonians will receive checks. Every Washington retailer who lost money under LuLaRoe's pyramid structure will receive restitution. The remaining $750,000 will partially reimburse the AG's office for the cost of investigating the conduct and bringing the lawsuit. Quote, LuLaRoe tricked Washingtonians into buying into its pyramid scheme with deceptive claims and false promises. As a result, thousands lost money and two individuals made millions from their scheme. Washingtonians deserve fairness and honesty and accountability for those who don't play by the rules, end quote. Existing LuLaRoe retailers recruit and sponsor new independent retailers who join LuLaRoe's network to sell the company's clothing, brightly colored leggings and such. They're still in business, which is far beyond what I expected. And I don't know how that's going with, with the last year that we've had, but still an active website, which surprises me. We, we continue on. The press release goes on to say that since January 2014, more than 3,600 Washingtonians joined LuLaRoe Network as retailers. 
that LuLaRoe required new retailers to purchase an onboarding package costing between $500 and $5,000, depending on the amount and type of inventory included. Retailers could not choose specific sizes or prints of the inventory they bought, but rather were limited in selecting only the style of clothing to purchase, receiving a random assortment of sizes and prints, which, side note, was always really curious to me because I don't know how you can um, control what you're doing with your inventory if you have no control of your inventory. So if you... um, are me. I am a, I am a a more plus sized lady. I, if I received a whole box of stuff I couldn't ever share or wear, it would be much harder for me to sell than something that worked for me. So it's just, it was always just crazy to me that that's how that worked. Moving on in the press release, they talk about the misleading income claims that example advertised retailers could make full-time income on part-time work that on recruitment events and calls, executives made representations regarding the income or profits earned by their top retailers, implying that such income was representative. And this is where, sorry, no, this is where companies get into problems uh, largely with this when they're saying a huge number of people, most people, instead of saying results not typical, <laughs> this a small percent of people or some can this was saying a huge number of people sell between 15K and 20K a month. It's so great. It's a crazy, incredible opportunity. Yay for you, girl boss. However, if that's not accurate, then that's deceptive income claims and deceptive marketing. In the press release, it states that one former LuLaRoe retailer said she became a retailer after hearing founder Deanne Brady describe how, quote, women rescued their families during financial crisis by selling LuLaRoe. LuLaRoe, however, did not live up to those expectations, resulting in a, quote, big loss for her and her family. Ferguson asserted that LuLaRoe's profitability claims were unfair and deceptive, violating the Consumer Protection Act. The press release describes LuLaRoe's pyramid structure in the following way, saying that LuLaRoe's structure ensured that the highest ranking retailers would earn income by recruiting retailers in the lower categories. This allowed two LuLaRoe retailers who each had hundreds of recruits in their quote downline to make more than 5 million in profit collectively between 2016 and 2019, while at the same time, more than a third of retailers reported losses. At a LuLaRoe event in late 2017, one of the top retailers acknowledged Quote, I got overpaid while people on my team were failing. Direct selling businesses sometimes provide incentives for existing retailers to recruit additional retailers. When the company offers retailers the right or opportunity to earn compensation primarily derived from recruitment rather than retail sales to consumers, the company is a pyramid scheme under the Washington Anti-Pyramid Promotional Scheme Act. Now, it's interesting to me how clearly they put it, and this really does just break down exactly what the difference is between a um, a MLM business that is operating in a legitimate way, and I know there are those that feel that no MLM is legitimate, and I get that, but there are network marketing and MLM companies that operate not illegal pyramid schemes, but it really defines that when the scheme makes the most money out of recruitment and not retail sales, 
that is when you have a problem. And the compensation structure of LuLaRoe did change because of lawsuits like this one. The press release goes on to say that in a LuLaRoe webinar, a LuLaRoe executive explained that a 2017 change in policy came about because of LuLaRoe's, quote, need to get away from being a pyramid scheme, end quote. <laughs> Even after those changes, the lawsuit alleged LuLaRoe continued to offer an opportunity to earn rewards based primarily on recruitment and to encourage and incentivize recruitment over retail sales. And again, that's where LuLaRoe stepped on it. But I love that that one of their executives just said, you know, we need to just go ahead and get away from being a pyramid scheme. Holy shit with that. The press release goes on to talk about the unfair refund policy, saying that LuLaRoe's repurchase policy allowed retailers who wished to stop selling its merchandise to receive a 90% refund for some unsold inventory purchased within the last year. Despite LuLaRoe's claims, many retailers did not receive the promised 90% and some received no refund at all. The process was so complex and the refund amounts were so arbitrary and unpredictable that retailers began referring to refund calculators such as LuLaMath. Many retailers who returned items waited months before receiving their refunds. In a declaration supporting the AG's case, one former LuLaRoe independent retailer said, quote, LuLaRoe did not handle my cancellation of business in a reasonable time. They did not indicate that they would process a refund in five months. What? Nor did my sponsor advise me that LuLaRoe might short me a couple hundred dollars and not explain why. She said that ultimately she had to take money out of savings to pay off credit card debt that had been used to make the LuLaRoe purchases to avoid paying more interest um, because they hadn't refunded the process because five months really is an unreasonable time to wait for a refund. It goes on to say that another consultant was told that thousands of dollars worth of inventory was ineligible for a refund because she had swapped her merchandise with another consultant through a feature LuLaRoe made available on its own app. Let's talk about how this resolved. Under the terms of the resolution, LuLaRoe must pay $4.75 million to the attorney general's office. We've heard that $4 million will be used to pay restitution to those 3,000 individuals from Washington. The additional 750000 will go to compensate the AG's office for the investigation and the cost of litigation. That the AG is providing financial payments to LuLaRoe retailers who lost money or who may have quit their jobs or sacrificed opportunities as a result of LuLaRoe's deception, but who failed to make a full-time income as LuLaRoe promised. The attorney general's office estimates there are 3,000 Washingtonians that will receive checks. In addition to paying $4.75 million, LuLaRoe must publish an income disclosure statement that accurately details retailer income potential, calculate bonuses based on retail sales, not the amount of merchandise purchased by independent retailers, conduct random and targeted audits to determine whether sales are to genuine customers rather than an effort to manipulate the compensation system, allow new retailers to return all inventory for a full refund, including shipping costs within 45 days of becoming a new retailer, return inventory not eligible for refund to the retailer, 
prohibit certain types of deductions from refund requests, warn retailers when the inventory they are purchasing is seasonal or otherwise does not qualify for a return or refund. LuLaRoe also made a statement on this. And it's so it's so interesting, the different um, perspectives on how this went down, because this suit has been going on for years and was getting ready to run up to trial and had part of it already go up on appeal. So this was being litigated, hotly litigated when it resolved. LuLaRoe on their website announced the settlement of litigation with the state of Washington on February 1st and said, quote, Clothing company LuLaRoe announced today that it has entered into an agreement to settle litigation initiated by the Office of the Attorney General of the State of Washington. The Attorney General's office filed the litigation on January 23rd, 2019 in the Superior Court of King County, Washington against LuLaRoe and three individuals. The settlement specifically states that none of the defendants has admitted liability or violation of the laws. The defendants denied and continue to deny any wrongdoing, and the settlement releases any and all claims the state of Washington may have had against them. The Superior Court has approved the settlement in the form of a consent decree. The Attorney General's office had alleged in its complaint against the defendants that LuLaRoe was operating an illegal pyramid scheme in violation of the Washington Anti-Pyramid Promotional Scheme Act and that defendants had engaged in conduct violating the Washington Consumer Protection Act. The settlement was reached after more than 40 depositions had been taken and the state had obtained over 175,000 pages of documents from LuLaRoe. Trial expected to take place over 12 weeks had been scheduled to begin February 16th. In addition, on January 29th, 2021, LuLaRoe had filed with the Washington Court of Appeals a petition seeking the Court of Appeals review of a superior court ruling on the defendant's lower court motion for judgment on the attorney general's pyramid scheme claim. That petition has been withdrawn as part of the settlement. Under the terms of the settlement, the defendants will pay the state $4.7 million, which can be used at the sole discretion of the Attorney General. Mark Stidham, LuLaRoe's chief executive officer, said, quote, given the expenses LuLaRoe incurred in defending this lawsuit, it made sense for LuLaRoe to pay the settlement we agreed upon, even though we believe we would have won the case eventually, whether at trial or on subsequent appeal. The expense would be enormous, and the amount of time senior management would have had to devote to the litigation during the trial would have been a distraction from our business. Stedham also stated, quote, we are proud of what we have accomplished in the state of Washington and nationally by giving entrepreneurs, mostly women, the opportunity to own and operate their own businesses selling our clothing. Since 2016, Washington independent fashion retailers have reported at least $185 million in retail sales to over 180,000 customers. LuLaRoe has paid Washington over $13.5 million in sales tax. The settlement with the Attorney General's office allows us to refocus our attention where it should be on continuing to support our independent fashion retailers across the country, as well as those in the state of Washington. We are excited about the future of LuLaRoe's independent fashion retailers and for LuLaRoe's customers. First, that number seems weird to me. The 185 million in retail sales to over 180,000 customers seems off. But 
isn't the different take between the, you know, attorney general and LuLaRoe quite um, stark because the attorney general is like, uh, yeah, y'all were running a pyramid scheme. You can't do that anymore. And LuLaRoe's like, we would have won. I mean, it's just, it just got really pricey. I think the state brought some very strong claims. I think the pyramid scheme claim uh, was a very strong one that LuLaRoe likely would have lost. However, I have not seen everything in those depositions because those aren't public record. The way that the scheme defines a pyramid scheme is the traditional way a pyramid scheme is defined, that you're making more money off of recruitment. And I think that could easily be shown on the documents. I wonder if the state was trying to avoid a Supreme Court challenge to that particular statute. Either way, it was very interesting to me that on kind of the eve of trial here, right, 16 days before this 12-week trial is supposed to start, that we saw this settlement. But at the end of the day, the attorney generals got what they wanted. They got money and they got a consent decree with regulations about what LuLaRoe can and can't do in their state. I don't know how that gets any better for the attorney general in Washington. I don't know what LuLaRoe got out of that other than um, the lightning of $4.7 million out of their bank accounts, but they didn't have to go through 12 weeks of protracted trial where a jury at the end of the day could have potentially awarded the state more. So it seems to me that this was definitely a cut our losses for LuLaRoe and a win for the state of Washington. But of course, that's not what LuLaRoe's press release is going to say. There is still a California case ongoing with LuLaRoe that will get its own episode. But this brings to a close all the cases we have loved before that are now done. These are, these are, they're done. They're dusted. They are over. They are final. And because of the way all of these cases ended, I don't expect anything coming next. The Lularose suit is resolved by a settlement. The Johnny Depp UK case was lost at trial and the appeal's been denied. And then with Taylor Swift and Nike, those cases were dismissed without prejudice. So there's literally nothing more to happen. That's all she wrote, folks. It is over. They are done. And these are cases we will not be addressing in the future unless we are using them as reference. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. But we are still in a pandemic. We are still in a pandoodle. It is getting better. We are getting vaccinated. The vaccinations are happening. States are starting to open up more and more. Um, We're definitely seeing that around Tennessee. And I hope you are safe and well wherever this podcast finds you. But, but we're still technically in it. And so we're still doing our closing. So grab a glass of whatever you are drinking and raise it and say it with me. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I will talk to you in the next one, friend.